Thank you, Robbie. Good morning, everyone. Awesome to be together this morning. Um, and I'm glad you're here as we open the Word of God this morning. I would invite you to uh, take a Bible or your smartphone and, uh, and follow with me. We're in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 this morning. And I want to take one verse, uh, the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, as our text this morning. But what a rich chapter this is. Uh, you can read 1 Corinthians 15 many times over uh, to mine some of the nuggets that are in uh, this prominent chapter. In fact, if you're looking for a text for your funeral, <laughs> you know, just in case you're doing some funeral planning, you could use any part of this chapter and it would beautifully point to Christ and the resurrection. And all the honor and praise would be to him. I especially love the flow of the first few verses of the chapter. Then the last verse of the chapter takes us from the lofty heights of, uh, of the great theology of resurrection to a very practical, boots-on-the-ground kind of verse. But it's important to remember that, that the last verse flows out of, of the theme of the resurrection. And in the New International Version, the, the, verse, the last verse actually starts with the word, therefore, which means uh, Paul is going to change horses a little bit here and give the reason for which he has labored so long in his discussion of the resurrection. He's now going to connect the dots for us uh, because of all, of all of he said the, about the resurrection. And now he's going to say, here are your next steps, therefore. Now, as you know, unless you've just joined us, that we've been in a fall study of the theme uh, Core Strength. This is our 10th message in that series, and we will conclude next Sunday. Uh, but we've been working on strengthening our core physically. Somebody on staff actually said the other day that they were up to 100 sit-ups a day. I wish that were me. It is not me. But thank you for doing it with us uh, over these weeks. Uh, it has just reminded me of how hard it is to remain very disciplined week after week after week. But it's been a good fall working on our abs, but more importantly, working on the core areas of our uh, Christian life. The area of loving God with all that we have. The area of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then last week, we started this section, uh, the core strength of being an influence. And we talked about the, the great command and now the great commission, the great commission. Understanding our mission. We're here for a reason. God has put us on the planet for a reason. We're calling it our influence. And the resurrection is the motivating launch pad for Paul's word in the last verse of the chapter. The resurrection has been the subject of attack through the generations. And the reason, <clears throat> the reason for that is the fact that if you take the resurrection of Christ from Christians, you take all that we have. You, you take the very essence of what we're about. You strip us of everything. So to summarize the chapter, Paul is really saying, first, uh, Jesus was dead and buried, and then God raised him up from the dead, literally 
and physically, that he was seen by all kinds of witnesses in various places. And second, uh, that Paul says Christ's resurrection guarantees every benefit the gospel promises. Uh, the Son of God lives and reigns in power forever. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And then the third thing that Paul assures us of us here is that when Jesus returns at the trumpet call of God, that those whose faith is in Christ will be changed. We will be given pure hearts and imperishable, immortal bodies. And these new bodies will be perfectly suited for our endless life in God's new heaven and earth where there will be no more tears and there will be no more night. The beautiful hope. Why did Paul give us such great detail in 1 Corinthians 15? And he goes on verse after verse. It's a very long chapter. But he really wants to tell us that this is a critical piece of our faith. Hang on to it securely. Don't budge on this one. If anyone poo-poos it and tries to discredit the resurrection, do not be shaken by that. Because the resurrection stands, it is true, it is life-changing that Jesus rose from the grave, that he is alive. Don't flinch for a second on that one, because the resurrection is the hinge on which our faith hands, uh, hangs. It's pivotal. We're living in a day <clears throat> when a lot of people believe that when they die, it's kind of poof. Their candle simply goes out and they suddenly cease to exist. They don't believe in the resurrection of their own bodies. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they don't consider that there is eternal life. They negate that there is an accounting for life upon this earth. But somehow the belief has developed that life just ceases to be, that it empties into a sea of nothingness. It's the Blow the candle out theory. It's the candle is there. Blow it out and it's over with. That's the end. That's the very end. And Paul's listeners were of that persuasion also. Most of his listeners still believed in the candle goes out theory of death. So Paul inspires his readers and he instructs them and he's saying, this is not the way it really is. He spends a whole chapter on it. If you follow the candle theory through to what it really means, it really means it doesn't matter how you live. It really means it doesn't matter what difference you make because it's just a matter of time and the candle goes out, your life is over. So obviously it's all about right now. It's all about living life to the fullest right now, whatever that means for you. The resurrection says, because there's a future, the right now is terrifically important. It's very important with what we do today. There's a gentleman by the name of A.N. Wilson. He's a British gentleman who grew up in the church in fact, he was a very learned man, a scholar. Some people had great expectations for A.N. Wilson. They believed that he would be of the caliber of C.S. Lewis. Tremendous writer, 
but as he grew up in the Christian faith, he threw it all overboard. He became a harsh and cynical critic of Christianity. He somehow just couldn't come to grips with his faith. And uh, w when one would have thought he would be in just the, the heyday of his, of his work for Christ, he had actually gone the other direction. He's still alive today. Uh, he's probably 65, 70 years old. But it was not too long ago, I think it was about eight years ago, he said he participated in a Palm Sunday service. I don't know what made him go to church, but he went to church. It was Palm Sunday. And after going to church, here's what he wrote. I put it on the text for you if you could read it. When I took part in the procession last Sunday, he said, and heard the gospel being chanted, I assented to it with complete simplicity. My own return to faith has surprised no one more than myself. Why did I return to it? My belief has come about in large measure because of the lives and examples of people I have known. Not the famous, not the saints, but friends and relations who have lived and faced death in the light of the resurrection story or in the quiet acceptance that they have a future after they die. Why did I return to it? My belief has come about in large measure because of the friends and relations who have lived and faced death in the light of the resurrection story. I am so impacted by that. He came back because of the influence of people close to him in proximity to his life who were rock solid in their belief in Jesus and in the resurrection. Hey friends, you never know who's watching you. And they're watching your faith in Jesus Christ. They're being impacted by the way you live. And some will say like A.N. Wilson, wow, your life turned my life around. The resurrection truly does change everything. It gives us hope and a future. It's our cornerstone. It's our foundation. It brings transformation. The person that you're sitting beside today, no doubt, has been impacted by the power of the resurrection. And as a result, their lives have been altered for good and for God for all time. This is the rock on which we stand, the power of influence, the power of the resurrection to influence how we live our lives. So our influence can remain strong and focused. Here's what Paul says in the last verse. Therefore, the New International Version, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, there are four nitty-gritties that will mark our ability to influence during our lifetime. These are worth reviewing over and over again as we walk the Christian life. The first nitty-gritty is standing firm. Standing firm. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. In some translations, like the ESV, it's, it's the word steadfast. Be steadfast. Friends, let's just pay attention to this word. 
since it's not a high-profile, sensational word. I mean, it's not a word filled with great pizzazz. What's pizzazzy about standing firm or being steadfast? But that's what Paul is saying. In light of the resurrection and the difference it makes, therefore, stand firm, be steadfast, be settled in your heart, be rooted, be firmly connected. I mean, it's a good word for us as individuals. It's a good word for us as a church corporately. As God leads us into the future, how important it is for us as a church to be rooted, to be steady, to be steadfast, to be reliable. We don't want erosion to occur in the ministry of TCC. We don't want to drift from the passion we have felt for ministry through 14 years. We don't want any of our lives to drift. I mean, no one gets up in the morning and sits on the side of their bed and says, how can I drift today? We we just don't do that. That's not how it works. How does it happen? Well, we hardly know how it happens. How does soil erosion take place? Sometimes imperceptibly. In our lives, we just begin to get sluggish. The things that used to excite us lose some of their shine. We begin to lose our passion little by little by little. Well, I'm just going to bow out on this time. Yeah, I'm, just not, I'm just not quite there right now. Of course, I'm not, I'm not speaking about margin. I think you know the tension here. Sometimes margin in our life helps us with passion and energy. So be careful not to confuse margin with erosion. Sometimes you have to say no to certain things in order to be able to say yes to where it's most important. But the first nitty-gritty essential that follows our affirmation of the resurrection is to be steadfast, firm, strongly rooted. It means to be steady day in and day out, firmly committed to Christ in the knowledge that he's alive, that he's risen from the grave. Be steadfast. You've got one life to live. Only one life. You don't get to do this again. You don't have a, this is not a practice run. You don't get to do this again. The candle just goes out theory. And there's no more. Maybe a nice way to think in terms of, well, wouldn't that be kind of nice in some way? We don't have to be responsible and accountable. But there's such a bigger picture here that we were created by God to make a difference in the world. It's actually kind of sad to think that this would be the only chapter and life is over and it's just done. But God is another chapter. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. God is another chapter for us and it's called eternal life. And someday... Every man and every woman and every child is going to stand before God and they're going to give an account for what they did with their one and only life. So be steadfast. That motivates me to live every day with resurrection realities uh, in my heart. It drives everything we do. Friends, there's an eternal clock ticking. Be steadfast. 
Don't be caught on the, well, there's not a whole lot at stake here. There's everything. There's everything at stake here. The second nitty-gritty that marks our ability to influence is a little word called immovability. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The New International Version says, let nothing move you. Our other translations use the word immovable. Actually, I think it's the only time the word immovable is used in the scripture. So it's kind of a unique word. And Paul writes this to the Corinthians because they were in fact easily swayed. And specifically about the resurrection, they needed to be very sure of the resurrection. And so Paul gives them this rather unique word, immovable. A word that means that they must not be loose from their moorings. They must be well connected. They are to be diligent in their teaching. And it also has the implication of being calm in the midst of crisis. Corinth was a busy, hustling place. It was a seaport. There were many philosophies floating around. The lifestyle was risque. It's a good word for us today. We too live in a crazy world where in the last 20 years, the Western world is undergoing turbulent changes in values. The pluralism in our day is rampant. Who says this is right? Who says this is wrong? There used to be a day when there was some clear demarcations, but today it's just fuzzy. It just runs back and forth, and you say that's fine, and you say that's not sin, and you say that is sin, and, and they just the lines just get blurred. What does this mean for Paul? What does it mean for us? Paul says, be immovable. Be calm. Be calm in the midst of crisis. Wow. Be calm amidst all the changes. It's too easy to be uptight. You watch the news and you get uptight. It's like, really? And at times we have to take a deep breath, come back to the scriptures and just say, this is where I am. This is where I am. We can't see down the road. We have no idea of what's coming. But we do believe in the resurrection. We do have the word of God. There will continue to be turbulent changes in our world, but we can be calm. We can know where our hope is. We can live with a sense of clarity. We can use the scripture to be our guide as we navigate our road. And your calmness amidst turbulence will be profound in this world. Profound in its impact. Influential. How can you be calm in the midst of the changes? Will Christians experience pressure in the days ahead? I think almost certainly. All around the world, it's tightening. All around the world, it's more challenging. Things are changing. Thomas Edison's huge lab burned down. All the years of experimenting in his lab, all of it gone. He was called to the fire. I think he was 65 years of age at this point. He was so amazed by the fire itself. He said, oh, it's a spectacular fire. 
all the chemicals and the different colors of the fire. He was intrigued by it. He said, go get your mom. We'll never see a fire like this one again. And he had an incredible immovable spirit. He said, we'll build again. And uh, at his age, he said, we will, we'll build again, but this time bigger and better. We'll get rid of some of those things that we didn't need anyway, and now we'll start again. That's an immovable spirit. That's an immovable spirit. I read that there are seven traits of all explorers that are necessary to be an explorer. Imagine the, the explorers that came to our country centuries ago, and they explored this great land of Canada. Imagine the explorers who got on ships and sailed to the Northwest Passage to find a route through uh, much, uh, much of which was uh, frozen ice. Seven traits of these individuals, listen to them. Curiosity, hope, passion, courage, independence, self-discipline, and perseverance. I mean, they all kind of spell immovable. Remove any one of those qualities or traits, and the expedition probably fails. Immovable is a great trait. Many of you have it. Call it perseverance, if you like. You've persevered through difficult times. Some of you have persevered through sickness. Some of you have persevered through relationship challenges. Some of you have persevered through a loss of employment, financial difficulties, maybe even war. And through it all, you have remained immovable. What will we face in the future? None of us know. What are the challenges that our culture is going to throw at us in the days ahead? We don't know. But it's important that we are immovable, staying very close to the Word of God, strong in the scriptures, financially accountable as a church, ethically committed as a church, unswerving in our convictions, obedient to God as his people, immovable, a great essential for our influence upon this world. Thirdly, the third nitty-gritty in influencing our world is the word abounding. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The New International Version puts it, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The New Living Translation says, always work enthusiastically. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. This is a great way to influence our world our enthusiasm, our joy, our contagious joy, our willingness to go the extra mile. And because of the resurrection, because of that hope, we can abound in our hearts. It's that positive heart that says, sure we can. Sure we can make that work. I'm sure we can fit that in. I, I'm, I'm, we're getting rid of words like mediocre and adequate. It's not just, well, let's throw that together. It's like, let's give it our best, abounding in the work of the Lord. I heard of a guy who went into a discount department store to buy some binoculars. And he found them, and he took them to uh, the counter. And one of the salespersons was doing some inventory behind the counter. 
And the other one was on the telephone talking to his friend, and they were having a good old gab, and he was just really preoccupied with that. And they were both in their own worlds. So the man waited, and he waited, and he waited. And finally, he positioned himself right in front of the person doing the inventory. In due time, she looked up and said, You got a number? What? He said. She said, You got to have a number. Well, he said, Ma'am, I'm the only person in the store. Take a number. So he went over and he pulled a number and he got 37. She promptly went to her counter and screamed, 35. She waited and she repeated it, 35. No one answered. 36. No one answered. 36. No one answered. 37. The man said, I have 37. May I help you? To which he replied, no thanks. And he walked out the door. That kind of service is not abounding. But you know, kind of strange. There's a kernel of truth in that for us. We can get in our own world, consumed by protocol, consumed by ritual, and just forget who God made us to be. People that love him. People that abound in him. People who are excited to be his servants. Grateful for the privilege of making uh, a difference in the world. And we understand that at TCC. We understand that no one is obligated to come here. People can sense if they're loved and accepted. We want to be a place where people come that, that w where we abound with God's love and his power and his grace. That we're enthusiastic about making a difference. There were a couple of fellows who were uh, really amazed. Uh, they and their wives had occasion to stay at a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And their service there was uh, just amazing. And their favorite words of the employees were, my pleasure, that's my pleasure. They'd love to serve, and whenever an employee would see a guest, they would say, do you need anything? Is there anything I can help with you, help you with? And, and when the guest would say, no, but we're fine, but thanks for asking, they would always respond, my pleasure. That's my pleasure. One fellow said to another, are we in heaven? This is amazing. My pleasure. Do you know what their motto is? Do you know what their mission statement is? I love it. Their mission statement is, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that awesome? We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Abounding. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, in the moment after you die, when you're resurrected, in the twinkling of an eye, and you stand before the Lord our God, you will get it like never before. You will see the great plan of God. You will see his purpose for the world. You will see his incredible love for the world. And you will be so incredibly grateful that you abounded in the work of the Lord with your one and only life. It will be worth it all. Abounding.
Then the fourth nitty-gritty word in influencing our world is confidence. Confidence. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know what I hate about writing sermons? Losing them. Sometimes I'll have written a sermon and I'll have punched some wrong key somehow and I lost it all. Is it ever frustrating to go back and think it through again and rephrase it again one more time? Oh, I just, oh no, I don't want to do that. There was an excavator guy that spent three days digging out a guy's backyard to install an in-ground swimming pool. The project went very well, and the fellow felt a deep satisfaction of a job well done. Everything was perfect. And then the homeowner returned from vacation. He saw the hole in his backyard, and he said, I didn't order a swimming pool. What address do you have where you're supposed to dig this hole? And the man had missed the correct address by one house. True story. He had to fill back in the perfectly dug hole, resod the entire yard. He had dug that huge hole for nothing. I think that's worse than losing a sermon. Contrast that to what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's, it's never a hole dug in vain because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It spells confidence. Your labor is not in vain. Maybe you wonder at times, is this really worth it all? Do you need to hear this word right now? Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever in vain. Your labor is not in vain. You might wonder at times, is this really worth it? You give yourself over and over again. You put yourself out. You contribute finances faithfully. Is it worth it? Have confidence that what you do is worth it all. Our athletes are training very hard these days for the Winter Olympics in Seoul, Korea, South Korea. They're leaning into their, their training. And many of them are trying just to get a little bit better. One, one second, two seconds, three seconds, just a little bit better in an attempt to take home the gold. We're all in a race that advances the purposes of God. And everything you do, every second you shave off, every way you get better, every con contribution you make, it's worth it. It's not in vain. We just don't want to get to the end of our lives and figure out we were digging in the wrong backyard. And we missed being really where we needed to be. We missed the priorities of our life. A whole lifetime digging in the wrong backyard. So thank you. I want to say this morning as well, thank you for praying and supporting for a church plant called Southwest Community Church. Whether you're directly involved in that plant or not, we're all part of it. And our labor is not in vain. We can see the fruit of God's Spirit over there. Our labor in vain is not here at TCC. We're investing in our children. We're investing in our youth. There are 19 kids junior high kids that are off at a retreat this weekend at Camp Caroline. We're investing in our community. It's worth it.
Winter Delights coming up this coming Saturday. And it's, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it because we're making a, a bridge. We're connecting with our community and somebody's life might be changed forever. Have confidence. Your labor is not in vain. So four nitty-gritty words that flow out of the influence of the resurrection. This is how we can stay hunkered down to be influencers in our generation. First of all, being steadfast, firm in our faith. Secondly, being immovable, calm in the midst of a crazy, changing, turbulent world. Thirdly, abounding, filled with God's heart and enthusiasm. And then confident that all that you're involved in will be used to the glory of God. That it's not in vain. Amen.